With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I have three parts for you today. In part one, I'll review our latest Feminile match. In part 2, we'll recap how our players performed over the international break, including a fairly comprehensive review of our players at AFCON. And in part 3, I'll review our latest Primavera match. I'm not going to talk about the winter transfer market just yet because I'm publishing this episode on the final day of the window, so a lot can still happen. I can tell you with great confidence that Napoli won't make any more moves, but there's plenty to talk about around the league, so I'm going to wait for the window to close, collect my thoughts, and comment on the transfer market next episode. So let's begin with the Serie A Feminile, which saw Napoli take on Roma on the 23rd of January. Roma are one of the strongest teams in the league. They came into this match second in the table, tied with Sassuolo on 28 points. Both of them were 8 points back of Juventus, who have slowly pulled away at the top of the table. Roma were coming off an impressive win over Empoli, which was actually pretty important for us. Empoli opened the scoring in the 38th minute of that match and held the lead until the 84th minute when Maria Bergeson completed a great team move to equalize. Claudio Cicciotti picked up what looked like a pretty serious injury in the second half, so there were 8 minutes of stoppage time, and during that time Roma were awarded a penalty kick. Having seen the replay, I think that was the correct decision. Elena Linari converted the penalty to give Roma the 2-1 win. Meanwhile, we were coming off an impressive draw against Inter, which allowed us to pull within 4 points of Empoli and 5 points of both Pomigliano and Fiorentina. Now, both teams were missing players for this match. I mentioned Cicciotti's injury. She didn't suit up for Roma. 
We were without Depuy Chatsi Nicolau, who wasn't fit to play after returning from international duty. We did have a few others who returned and got into the squad, though Emma Eriko, Sedia Bramson, and Saratui were all back in the squad. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Roma lined up in a very uncommon 3-1-4-2 with Emma Lind in goal. Lucia Di Guglielmo, Elena Linari, and Tecla Petenuzzo lined up in the back three. Vanessa Bernauer played as the regista. Glada Greggi started on the left wing and Anna Maria Sartorini played on the right wing. Manuela Giuliano and Emily Javi played as the two trequartisti. And finally, Paloma Lazzaro and Andresa played as the dual strikers. For Napoli, Giulia Domenichetti lined up in her usual 4-2-3-1, but she didn't start her usual goalkeeper. New signing Raquel Baldi started in goal against her former club. Lana Golob and Paola Di Marino started at centre-back. Maria Awona started at left-back and Abramson started at right-back. Emma Severini and Claudia Mauri started in the double pivot. Evi Popadinova started on the left wing and Ariana Acuti started on the right wing. For the second consecutive match, Sofia Colombo started over Eleonora Goldoni in the number 10. And finally, Soleheims played at striker. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to the match. This was a pretty dominant performance by Roma. They controlled the run of play for the entire first half. They pressed high, which made it extremely difficult for Napoli to string any passes together. As soon as we got the ball, Roma pressed and won it back, often in dangerous areas of the pitch. As you can imagine, Roma had the better chances in the half. In fact, they had almost all of the chances in the half. Roma's first chance came in the ninth minute. Giuliano went for a goal from about 40 yards out, and she actually didn't miss by much. A minute later, Popadinova was dispossessed by Greggi in the middle of the park. After a lovely interchange between Greggi and Lazzaro to get to the edge of the Napoli area, Lazzaro tested Baldi. Her powerful shot was destined for the top corner, but Baldi was up to the task. Then a few minutes later, Colombo gave the ball away to Bernauer in the middle of the park. She played the ball to Sarturini in the right side of the area, but she sliced her shot wide of the mark. Colombo really struggled with Roma's press in this match. In the 15th minute, Mauri's pass was slightly out of reach for Colombo and was intercepted by Giuliano, again in the Napoli half. Roma immediately looked to counter after some lovely quick passes. Petenuto played a vertical pass to Lazzaro who flicked the ball to free Andressa, again on the right side of the area. Andressa took a low hard shot towards the far post, but again Baldi made the save. The shot may have finished just wide of the goal, but as a keeper, Baldi did the right thing there. You can't leave the ball and hope it misses the target. There was a little bit of a scramble in the area after that and a nervous moment between Colombo and Di Marino who got their wires crossed, but we managed to clear the danger. Roma's next chance came in the 26th minute after Abramson was dispossessed on the right side. I thought she was fouled there, but the official allowed the play to continue. Javi crossed to Sarturini at the back post and she should have scored on the half volley, but somehow Sarturini put her shot over the bar. About 10 minutes later, Colombo was dispossessed again, this time by Lazzaro at around midfield. Roma countered through Giuliano who played Sarturini through on the right side again. It seemed like Roma had targeted that right wing. This time Sarturini hit the target but Baldi made yet another fine save. So those were all of Roma's chances in the first half. Napoli had only two chances in the half if you could even call them that. The first was in the 28th minute after Awona played a hard ball into the area. Sola did really well to take the ball down on her chest but she tried to hit the volley with the outside of her right boot and the shot finished well wide of the mark. 
Our only real chance of the half came two minutes before the break. Akuti played a ball over the top to Popedinova, who controlled it and cut it back to Severini. Severini had the shot, but Linari made an excellent last-ditch slide tackle to block the shot, so in the end, Napoli did not have a single shot on target in the first half. Credit to Domenichetti, though, I'm not sure what she said during the intermission, but we seemed a bit more solid at the start of the second half. Other than a few weak efforts from distance, Roma really didn't create a whole lot. They certainly didn't create any chances like they did in the first half. Perhaps Domeniketti recognized this and thought that we might even be able to steal the three points, so she made a tactical substitution in the 64th minute, replacing Colombo with Goldoni and Mauri with Saratui. Unfortunately, we suffered a major setback just moments later in the 70th minute, Petanuzzo committed an absolutely brutal tackle on Popadinova, who was arguably our best player to that point. She had to be replaced. In fact, she had to be carried to the locker room because she could not put any weight on her right leg. On Friday, the club announced that she suffered a low-grade lesion of the MCL and a bucket handle lesion of the medial meniscus of her right knee. She'll undergo arthroscopic surgery to remove the meniscus and is expected to be out for six to eight weeks. Fortunately, we only play bi-weekly until March, so based on that recovery schedule, Popadinova would only miss three matches. Popadinova was replaced by Emma Erico, so she made her first appearance since returning to Napoli from Hellas Verona. Things went from bad to worse for Napoli, though in the 79th minute, Golub fouled substitute Valeria Pirone just outside the area on the left wing. So Roma were awarded a free kick, and on that free kick, they took the lead. Leona played a hard in-swinging cross to the first post. Baldi was able to block the cross, but she saw the ball late with so many players attacking the ball. Unfortunately, Baldi didn't get much of the ball, which bounced up in front of the goal. Javi was first to the ball, and she headed into the back of the goal to put Roma ahead. Needing to score, Domenichetti replaced Severini with another new signing in Romina Pina, who made her Napoli debut. So we finally started to push forward, and we got our best chance of the match in the second minute of stoppage time, Tui tried to dribble into the Roma area. She was tackled off the ball, but it fell for Goldoni, who took the shot first time. Unfortunately, she shot straight at Lind. That was actually our first shot on target, and it turned out to be our last as well. Neither club created any more chances in the match, which finished 1-0 in favor of the away side. For how little we created in the attack, it's hard to argue that we deserved a better result. Perhaps we deserved a draw for how well we defended, starting with Raquel Baldi, who really stood out to me in goal. I mentioned all the saves she made in the first half. She also won four or five other balls just with her speed off the line. You could see that she's a brave keeper. She's not afraid to attack the ball and she is a confident keeper. She's very assured in the air. Marie Awona also stood out to me for the second match in a row, particularly because of her pace and spatial awareness. With those two qualities, she often anticipated the Roma long ball over the top and got to the ball first. Then when she got there, she was very calm on the ball. She made smart decisions like dribbling towards the touchline, and in general, you could just see that she's very tactically sound. Now with the loss, we remained in that third relegation position in the table. The big match of the round, at least as far as we were concerned, was Empoli against Pomigliano. They are two of our direct rivals in the battle for survival. Empoli opened the scoring near the end of the first half, but Pomigliano scored twice in the second half to steal all three points away from home. So we stayed four points behind Empoli in ninth place, but with the win, Pomigliano moved up to seventh place and extended their lead over us to eight points. 
Meanwhile, Fiorentina ended Juventus's winning streak at 36 games. They scored twice in the opening 35 minutes, but Juve fought back for the 2-2 draw. Even when they drop points, they're pretty good. Valentina Chernoya scored a beautiful goal in the dying seconds of the first half of that one. With the draw, Fiorentina extended their lead over us to 6 points. Elsewhere in the league, Sassuolo beat Hellas Verona 4-0. Lana Cleland scored 2 more goals in that one. She scored 6 goals over her last 2 matches, moving ahead of Fiorentina's Daniela Sabatino in the race for Capo Canoniere. Inter beat Lazio 3-1, so Lazio and Hellas Verona are looking more and more likely to be relegated. Finally, Milan beat Sampdoria 4-0 to stay in the hunt for European qualification. That's the real battle at the top of the table. Juve are running away with the Scudetto again, but Roma and Sassuolo are tied on 31 points and Milan are just behind them on 30 points. Our ladies will be back in action on February 6th for an important match against Fiorentina. With a win, we could reduce the gap between us and Fiorentina to 3 points and we would own the tiebreak having won both matches. That'll do for part 1. In part 2, we'll catch up on the latest news. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to part two of the Fort Sinopoli podcast. Next, let's talk about our players who are on international duty, starting with the Africa Cup of Nations. We have two players remaining in the tournament, Kaladu Koulibaly, who captains Senegal, and Frank Zambuangisa, who plays for the host nation Cameroon. Let's start with Angisa, who played his round of 16 match against Comoros. Unfortunately, the main story for this match was a tragic one. A crush of people at the south entrance at the Olenda Stadium left eight people dead and 37 injured, some of whom are in serious condition. For those who don't know, a crush of people is just another way of saying a stampede. Now, the report suggests that there weren't enough entrances for this match. According to an ESPN article by Ed Dove, the East Gate had not been opened, so those people were funneled to the South entrance. With the host nation playing, this was a popular match to attend. Due to COVID, capacity at the 60,000-seat Olenda Stadium was limited to 80% or 48,000 people, but by many accounts, more than 48,000 people showed up. A security official told Dove that due to the crush of people, a barrier collapsed and those at the front were trampled on by those who followed. The Confederation of African Football, or CAF, is investigating. It's not quite clear if the incident happened before or during the match, but certainly those who were already in the stadium had no idea what happened. The CAF has been criticized for allowing matches to continue on the same day and in the days immediately after the incident, but if history is any indication, we shouldn't be too surprised that these matches were played. In terms of the match itself, it was probably one of the more dramatic ones in the tournament so far. Comoros didn't have a goalkeeper, so they started left-back Chakar Alhadur in goal. He was quite clearly not a goalkeeper, both in terms of his physique and his technique. I think an actual goalkeeper would have stopped Carl Toko Akambi's shot on the opening goal of the match, but credit to Al-Hadur, he made his fair share of saves, unorthodox as they may have been. 
To make matters worse, Komoros defender Jimmy Abdu was sent off only 7 minutes into the match, so Komoros played 83 minutes without a true goalkeeper and down a man. Yet, on the whole, Cameroon didn't play all that well. I don't know if they psychologically checked out because of the circumstances, but besides the goal, they didn't register another shot on target until the 54th minute. Vincent Abubakar scored his tournament-leading 6th goal to put Cameroon ahead by 2, but Yusuf Changama pulled one back with what will probably end up being the goal of the tournament. He launched an absolute rocket of a free kick from about 40 yards out into the top corner of the goal, an outstretched Andre Onana didn't stand a chance. Onana did make some big saves though against the 10-man Comoros, who did well to even create chances in the first place. As far as Zangisa goes, he didn't have any noteworthy plays as far as I can recall. I thought the entire Cameroon team was a little too casual in this match. He ended up playing 84 minutes in the victory. The other player we had in action in the round of 16 was Kaladu Koulibaly, who captained Senegal to a 2-0 victory over Cape Verde. Like Anguissa, Koulibaly wasn't terribly busy in this match. Cape Verde had two players sent off in this match. That was a bit of a theme of this round. Seven players were sent off in the round of 16. In this match, Patrick Andrade was dismissed for a studs-up tackle into the upper ankle of Papagay in the 20th minute. Then Cape Verde goalkeeper Vozinha was sent off after a head-to-head -head collision with Sadio Mane, but Mane got to the ball first and Vozinha was the last man back, so that appeared to be the correct decision as well. A few minutes later, Mane opened the scoring from a Senegal corner kick, but the real talking point after the match was why Mane was even allowed to continue. Before the restart after the goal, Mane went to ground and had to be removed from the match. He was clearly concussed from the head-to-head -head collision with Vozinha, and he should have been taken out right away. Now, like Cameroon, Senegal were not particularly impressive considering they played much of the second half with two extra men. Senegal didn't score their second goal until the second minute of stoppage time, and Cape Verde nearly equalized moments before that goal. In fact, it was Koulibaly who lost his man on the play. In truth, he didn't play particularly well in the first two matches he played since returning from COVID. Like Anguissa though, Koulibaly didn't have too much to do in this match. A lot of us complained about the risk of playing in AFCON, but in Koulibaly's case, I think this is actually a great way for him to get back to full fitness before returning to Napoli. I'll quickly run through the results of the other round of 16 matches. Three of them went to penalty shootouts. Burkina Faso beat Gabon. Egypt beat Ivory Coast. And Equatorial Guinea beat Mali. Egypt reached the quarterfinals having scored only two goals from open play. Tunisia shocked Nigeria with a 1-0 win. Even without Victor Osimhen and Emmanuel Dennis, you expect more from Nigeria. Bologna's Moussa Barrow scored the only goal in Gambia's victory over Guinea. And finally, Morocco beat Malawi 2-1. Ashraf Hakimi scored a ridiculous free kick with what is supposedly his weaker right foot in that match. So that set up the quarterfinal matches. The first quarterfinal match was between Cameroon and Gambia on Saturday. Cameroon completely dominated this match. Abu Bakar came close to scoring on a couple of occasions in the first half, both times from crosses from the right wing. It seemed like Cameroon were really attacking that right side with Nicolas Ngamalu and Samuel Gouet crossing the ball. But Cameroon didn't get their first goal until 5 minutes after the restart. Carl Toko Akambi put his header past Bubakar Guy. He added a second late in the match, finishing a gorgeous ball to the second post by Martin Hongla. Now, Anguissa played the full 90 minutes, but again, he didn't really have any noteworthy moments. He just went about his business. 
Personally, I find he's playing too high up the pitch, but you do sense he's a really important part of this Cameroon midfield. With the win, Cameroon advanced to the semifinals where they will meet Egypt. Egypt came from behind to defeat Morocco 2-1 in extra time in what was probably the most entertaining match of the tournament so far. Finally, on Sunday, Kaladu Kulibaly Senegal played their quarterfinal match against Equatorial Guinea. This was an interesting match. I thought Senegal were fairly dominant in the first half. They controlled the run of play. They had most of the ball, and they took a deserved lead around the half-hour mark. Sadio Mane slipped the ball through to Famara Diadu, who beat Jesus Awona at the near post. I was both surprised and not surprised to see Mane in the starting 11, given the collision I mentioned he was involved in in the round of 16. If I'm Liverpool, I'm very concerned about Mane playing in this match. I haven't validated this, but I'd be very surprised if Mane did not suffer a concussion against Cape Verde on Tuesday. For him to be playing a sport that involves heading the ball five days after that collision would be very concerning to me. Now, with Senegal controlling the play in the first half, Koulibaly wasn't terribly busy. He was part of a three-man wall that blocked Equatorial Guinea's free kick near the end of the first half, and then he chased down the loose ball and cleared the danger. Credit to Equatorial Guinea, though, I thought they responded really well in the second half, and as such, Koulibaly was far more involved, beginning with a penalty that he conceded in the 50th minute, or at least so Equatorial Guinea thought. This was one of those plays that in the old days would have been considered ball to hand. Koulibaly's defending the cross and Iban Salvador kicked the ball straight into his hand. But VAR reviewed the play and reversed the decision so clearly the official felt like he did not make his body unnaturally bigger. Equatorial Guinea did not drop their heads though. They continued to push for the equalizer and they found it only 7 minutes later. Pablo Gane played Yannick Bouyelassam through and he beat Edouard Mendy. The way this play happened, it almost looked like Koulibaly was at fault, but I think it was just poor defending all around. Koulibaly was trying to play the offside, but Biela Sam did really well to stay on. Now, in Koulibaly's defense, he got stuck marking both Nsu and Biela Sam, so I don't blame this goal entirely on him. And we have to tip our hats to Equatorial Guinea. This was just a really well-worked goal. Koulibaly nearly got exposed only a few minutes later, which would have been a disaster. Carlos Acapo crossed the ball in from the right side and Koulibaly completely whiffed on the clearance. I suspect Nsu was expecting Koulibaly to clear the ball, so he wasn't able to react quickly enough to put it away. That's fortunate for Koulibaly though, because if Nsu scored there, a lot of fingers would have been pointed in his direction. Koulibaly did make up for those couple of shaky moments in the 68th minute. Senegal won a corner kick, which was crossed into the area by Bunassar. The cross was really poorly defended by Equatorial Guinea. First, Nsu failed to clear the ball at the near post. He got a knee on the ball and it went straight up into the air. Then he got to the second ball and headed straight up into the air again. And that's where Koulibaly came in and made an incredible header. He was running away from the goal but outleapt Nsu and then turned mid-air to head the ball back into the danger area, which requires great strength and coordination to do. Akapu and Saul Koko both went for the ball and collided with each other so they weren't able to clear the ball either. Instead, Cheku Kuyate pounced on the loose ball and flicked it past Owono to put Senegal back ahead. Ishmael Asar added a third about 10 minutes later, so Koulibaly and his Senegal team are on to the semi-finals as well. They will play Burkina Faso in their semi-final. So we could potentially see Angisa against Koulibaly in the AFCON finals. They certainly represent the favorites in each of those two matches. In any event, they will both play the maximum number of games because there is a final and a third place match, 
which will both be played on February 6th. That's the same day that we play against Venezia, so obviously they won't play in that match. After Venezia, we don't play until the 12th against Inter, so barring some sort of COVID restrictions on re-entry into Italy, we should have Koulibaly and Anguissa back for the match against Inter. So that's the latest on AFCON. We had a few additional players away during the international break. Italy did not play any matches, but they had a few training sessions at Coverciano. Our usual players were called up to the 35-man squad, Alex Meret, Giovanni Di Lorenzo, and Lorenzo Insigne, but they all returned to training in Napoli on Saturday. Meanwhile, Herving Lozano was called up to Mexico's national team for CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. Lozano was not in the squad for Mexico's match against Jamaica on Thursday. He was serving a suspension due to a yellow card accumulation. He was back for Mexico's match against Costa Rica on Sunday, though, which was a disappointing nil-nil draw. Mexico completely dominated this match from start to finish, but they just could not find the back of the goal. They had plenty of chances, and they hit the bar a couple of times. I don't have the XGs for this match, but I imagine it was heavily in favor of Mexico. However, with the draw, Mexico tied the United States in second in the CONCACAF table on 18 points. That's because my home country of Canada beat the United States 2-0 to remain top of the table with four matches to play. It's important to note as well that Canada has already played the US and Mexico, whereas USA, Mexico, and Panama, who are really the other three teams that are fighting for the three World Cup spots, all still have to play each other, so at least one of them will drop points. I never thought I'd say this, but it's quite possible that Canada qualifies for the World Cup, and Italy does not. As far as Lozano goes, he had an up and down match, he did a lot of things really well, especially in the first half. He was heavily involved in the play, he was creating chances both for himself and for his teammates, he was drawing fouls in dangerous areas, as he always does. The problem was his finishing, he must have had 5 or 6 shot attempts, a number of which were blocked, but he also had a few shot attempts from the edge of the area that he just could not keep down. Lozano was far less involved in the second half, it seemed like Mexico's coach Gerardo Martino had Lozano and Jesus Corona switch wings a couple of times hoping to spur something in the attack. It almost worked, in the 64th minute Lozano picked out Corona with a cross to the back post and Corona missed the target with his header. So I would say all in all Lozano played well, you'd just like to see him be more accurate with the finish. Mexico will play their final match during the international break against Panama on Wednesday. Finally, David Ospina was called up to Colombia's national team for Conembol World Cup qualifying. He was in goal for Colombia's 1-0 loss to Peru on Friday. The goal he conceded wasn't his finest moment, but that just shows even the best keepers in the world sometimes concede weak goals. That doesn't define the goalkeeper. It looked to me like Ospina was leaning towards his left because 9 times out of 10 the opponent shoots to the far post in that situation but the shot went to the near post and he got beat. That was actually Peru's only shot on target in the match, so Ospina didn't have much else to do in that match. Ospina will be back in action on Tuesday to play a big match against Argentina. That will do for our international recap. In part 3, we'll review our latest Primavera match. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to part three of the Fort Sinopoli podcast. We'll close the pod with a review of our Primavera's first match of the calendar year. This was the Primavera's first match since December 19th, which was our last match before the winter break. We should have restarted a few weeks ago, but the Primavera wisely postponed the restart due to COVID. There's plenty of room in the schedule to play all of these games. Three additional matches were postponed due to COVID, including our match against Fiorentina, who had an outbreak. So six teams currently have a game in hand. Just to remind everyone on how things stood heading into the winter break, we were sitting in 8th in the table after 13 rounds. We were 2nd in the table after 10 rounds, but we lost our final 3 matches before the break. We lost 2-0 to Inter, 3-0 to Roma, and 2-1 to Cagliari, so we were outscored 7-1 during that stretch. But the Primavera table is so tight that even though we dropped to the middle of the table, we remained only 3 points behind Cagliari in 3rd. But the Primavera table is so tight that even though we dropped to the middle of the table, we remained only 3 points behind Cagliari in 3rd. We then dropped to 10th in the table after most of the league played their round 14 matches. Our opponent for this match, Genoa, was also amongst the 6 teams who did not play in the previous round. So they came into the match sitting in 6th in the table with 21 points, 2 points clear of us. Genoa's had an up and down season. They came into this match undefeated in their last 4 having lost their previous three matches. After losing to Bologna, Juventus, and Sampdoria, they drew Fiorentina, beat Hellas Verona, drew Inter, and then beat Atalanta. Genoa made three signings during the winter break. They acquired defender Ciro Esposito from Gladiator, midfielder Federico Macca from Virtus Antella, and striker Michele Ambrosini from Virtus Cisarano Bergamo. Meanwhile, we signed midfielder Duccio Tacofondi, who was released by Empoli, we also sold Dylan De Pasquale to Cosenza, and Aziz Ture returned to Palermo. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Genoa lined up in a 3-5-2 with Jacopo Corci in goal, Alessandro Marcandali, Elmando Gini, and Gabriella Calvani lined up in the back three, Gianluca Parodi played as the left wing back, and Elia Lazomba played as the right wing back, Federico Aconero started in the center of the midfield with Erion Sadico to his left and Andrea Pellella to his right, and Bilal Sali and Adam Bamba started together up top. For Napoli, Nicolo Frustalupi went with a 3-5-2 as well. Huberti Dasiek started in goal. Davide Costanzo, Daniel Hisai, and Benedetto Barba played in the back three. Enrico Giannini got a rare start at left wing back and Matteo Marchisano started at right wing back. Colisacco played in the center of the midfield with Alessandro Spavone to his left and Antonio Vergara to his right. Finally, Antonio Trofi and Giuseppe D'Agostino played as the two strikers, so Frustalupi surprisingly left his top goal scorer in Giuseppe Ambrosino on the bench. So those were the starting lineups, next let's get to the match. It was a frantic start to the match, both teams played with a lot of energy, perhaps too much energy, there were a lot of fouls in the midfield, and a lot of changes in possession in the opening few minutes of the match, but it didn't take long for Napoli to open the scoring. Giannini played a long ball forward to Trophy. Sally got to the ball first, but he got a little bit crossed up with his partner Gini. Sally touched the ball to where he thought Gini would be, but instead he played the ball into the space at the edge of the area. Trophy stayed with the play, got to the ball first, and fired a perfect shot past Corci into the bottom corner to put Napoli ahead only six minutes into the match. 
Genoa fans would have wanted a foul by Costanzo Ambamba to be called immediately before the long ball from Giannini, but Genoa can only blame themselves for this goal. Both sides settled down after that. Genoa took control of the match for the next 20 minutes or so while they sought an equalizer. We were a little bit on our heels, but as always, our back line was solid. That's become Frustalupi's signature in a way. The wingbacks dropped to help defend in a five-man back line, and the midfielders helped defend as well, with the size of Sacco just in front of the back line to eat up any crosses into the area. The second part of the first half was fairly even. The game opened up, but neither side was able to create any legitimate opportunities to score, so Napoli went into the break up a goal. The second half was more of the same, at least until the final minutes of the match. It was a competitive half, it was an entertaining half, but neither side... It was a competitive half, it was an entertaining half, but again, neither side created that many chances, again, at least not for the first 40 minutes of the half. Unfortunately, about 10 minutes into the second half, we lost Daniel Hisai. He was involved in a pretty gruesome head-to-head collision with Sally. My initial concern was that he suffered something similar to Victor Osiman in Serie A, but you could see that Hisai was holding his nose, so it's quite possible that he broke his nose on the play, so hopefully Hisai will recover quickly. Musa Mani came off the bench in his place. For most of the second half, Napoli had only two legitimate chances and Genoa didn't really have any. Trophy had a chance in the 56th minute, but Calvani made an excellent slide tackle to block the shot. Then in the 74th minute, Marquisano came close to doubling the Azzurini's lead, but his shot finished just wide of the far post. Vergara played a gorgeous pass to Marquisano to set that chance up. Vergara had an excellent match. He was particularly strong in the final half hour of the match at both ends of the pitch. He's a great all-around player. He can dribble. He can pass. I definitely think Vergara is one of our brightest prospects with the Primavera right now. So it looked like we were going to coast to a 1-0 victory and then things got pretty wild. Genoa had three excellent opportunities to score in the final few minutes of normal time. First, in the 88th minute, Genoa substitute Yona Bornosuzov came close to scoring. Genie played a long ball to Bornosuzov at the edge of the area. He took the ball down really well, then turned to create the space for the shot. He got a pretty good shot off, but Idasiak reacted quickly and pushed the ball over the bar. Then on the ensuing corner kick, Idasiak made the best save of the match. The ball fell to Calvani on the doorstep, and he had the ball on target, but Idasiak made a great reaction save. The third chance came in the 90th minute. Bezzaggio and Genie played a lovely give-and-go at the edge of the area before Bezzaggio put a decent shot on target. The shot was heading towards the bottom corner, but once again, Idasiak was up to the task. So after a flurry of chances, Napoli remained up 1-0. With the Hisai injury, as well as a few other injury stoppages, there were five minutes of stoppage time, and in the fourth minute, Napoli put the match away. This goal involved two of Napoli's substitutes, Takofondi, who made his first appearance for Napoli. He replaced Antonio Vergara, and at the same time, Giuseppe Ambrosino replaced Antonio Trofi. The goal started with a long ball from Idasiak, which Takofondi flicked on for D'Agostino. D'Agostino played Ambrosino through on the right side of the area, and he blasted a shot into the top corner to double Napoli's lead. That was Ambrosino's sixth goal to go along with three assists in 13 appearances this season, which is fantastic production for him. Unfortunately, even though there was only one minute left to play, Idasiak was not able to hold on for the clean sheet, but to a certain extent, he has only himself to blame. In the final minute of stoppage time, Takafondi was dispossessed at the edge of the Genoa area. That triggered a counterattack. The ball eventually fell to Bezaggi, who crossed the ball into the area. 
Idashiak attacked the ball, but he must have misread the flight of the ball. So not only did the ball get past him, but he was also left in no man's land. The ball fell to substitute Andrea Neshi at the back post, and he volleyed into the back of the goal to make the score 2-1. It was too little too late, though, for Genoa. That was basically the final kick of the match. The official blew the match immediately after the restart. So this was a great way to restart the campaign for the Primavera. We ended our three-game losing streak. It was our seventh win of the season, five of which now have come away from home. So for some reason, we seem to play better away from home. Pretty much all of the favorites won their matches this round. So with the win, we only moved up one position in the table from 10th to 9th. Now, I mentioned that we have a game in hand. Seven of the eight clubs ahead of us in the table are within three points. So if we win that match, we would be tied with Inter, Sassuolo, and Cagliari in second place on 25 points. The Primavera will be back in action midweek to take on Spal, who are currently in the relegation playoff zone. So that will do for this review. That will also do for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore D5. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fortsanopoli Pod. I'll be back in a few days to review the Winter Mercato. We'll also review that midweek Primavera fixture and we'll preview our upcoming match against Venezia. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Sports Social Podcast Network.